Welcome to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. The show is heard on every Monday and Friday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can also pick it up on <clears throat> Potomatic, oh, uh, Amazon, and a number of uh, platforms. And Potomatic is our flagship platform, so please visit that and uh, follow our postings. And not only do we do this show once a week, but we post a lot of classic speeches from the 60s and 70s of uh, famous or maybe not so well-known, but should be well-known um, patriots and conservatives, anti-communists, Gary Allen, Alan Stang, uh, just to name a couple. And uh, this show is brought to you by Camp Constitution, which among all things runs a week-long family camp. And <clears throat> this year's camp is coming right up you know, just a, a little less than two months, July 16th to the 21st at the Singing Hills Christian Camp and Conference Center in New Hampshire. So uh, um, Plainfield, New Hampshire. We also have a weekend retreat coming up in late September to early October in uh, Tuftonboro, New Hampshire. And you can learn more about our events on our website, uh, campconstitution.net. Also, Check out our YouTube channel, our Vimeo, and our BitChute channels. And um, if you're inclined to help support us, uh, we have a PayPal button right on our homepage. And, or you could just uh, make a donation by check and send it to the address that you see when you uh, go to the um, contact form. Um, today is Memorial Day in the United States. It used to be known as Decoration Day, and the, the holiday goes back just about, I think, a little after the Civil War. It wasn't an official holiday for, for a few years, but uh, people would decorate the graves of their loved ones or those that had, had died in, in combat or casualties of war. Uh, it was done in, in the Confederate states uh, as well as the northern states. And it's not a holiday that we say Happy Memorial Day to. And it really shouldn't be a holiday where we go out and buy a car, although I've got two family members that sell them. Uh, but that's not the point. The point is to commemorate the, um, the those that, who have died in service to our country, died honorably in service to our country. And it's sad that a lot of uh, <coughs> a lot of the holidays have become little more than week three day weekends, and uh, the purpose of that holiday is pretty much lost on on most people. Unfortunately, it's not just the time to go to the beach or open up the uh, your, your cabin on the mountains but it's to reflect on uh, and honor those that passed. And it's not for the veterans. And I'm a veteran. Veterans, we have our own day. It's November 11th. This is to honor those that died. And today I just got back from uh, Alton, Alton, New Hampshire's uh, veterans, I should say, sorry, Memorial Day. And they do a really nice job. We actually have a public school, Prospect Mountain High School, band and they sing patriotic songs including god bless america so don't get the word don't let the word get out the aclu would be uh, on on their case ready to shut them down or just play uh socialist music or what have you but and i'm going to uh, upload the the parade it was a short parade it wasn't uh, a very long winter but between the ceremonies and the parade it was um about a little more than an hour long but what I want to do at this point is I want to read a, uh, a statement or a speech made by James Garfield, who became the president of the United States, um, 20th president. So I'm going to just read it. Uh, this was the very first um, 
Memorial Day uh, observation, which took place May 30th of 1868. And he gave this speech prior to becoming president. Um, <clears throat> he actually made the rank of general in the Union Army. While a member of Congress, he gave a speech, and it was at the uh, Arlington National Cemetery. There were 5,000 people there. And this is before you had PA systems, so your voice really had a carry. Well, let me uh, read it. I am oppressed with a sense of the impropriety of uttering words on this occasion. If silence is ever golden, it must be here beside the graves of 15,000 men whose lives were more significant than speech and whose death was a poem, the music of which can never be sung. With words we make promises, plight, faith, praise, virtue. Promises may not be kept. Plighted faith may be broken, and vaunted virtue be only the cunning mask of vice. You don't hear presidents talk like this these days, do you? We do not know one promise these men made, one pledge they gave, one word they spoke, but we do know they summed up and perfected by one supreme act, the highest virtues of men and citizens. For love of country, they accepted death and thus resolved all doubts and made immortal their patriotism and their virtue. For the noblest man that lives, there still remains a conflict. He must still withstand the assaults of time and fortune, must still be assailed with temptations before which lofty nature has have fallen. But with these, the conflict ended. The victory was won. When death stamped on them, the great seal of heroic character enclosed a record which years can never blot. I know of nothing more appropriate on this occasion than to inquire what brought these men here. What high motive led them to condense life into an hour and to crown that hour by joyful welcoming death? Let us consider. Eight years ago, this was the most unwarlike nation of the earth. For nearly 50 years, no spot in any of these states have been the scene of battle. 30 millions of people had an army of less than 10,000 men. The faith of our people in the stability and permanence of their institutions was like their faith in the eternal course of nature. Peace, liberty, and personal security were blessings as common and universal as sunshine and showers and fruitful seasons, and all sprang from a single source, the old American principle that all owe due submission and obedience to the lawfully expressed will of the majority. This is not one of the doctrines of our political system. It is the system itself. It is our political firmament in which all other truths are set as stars in heaven. It is the encasing air... <coughs> The breath of the nation's life against this principle, the whole weight of the rebellion was thrown. Its overthrow would have brought such ruin as might follow in the physical universe if the power of gravitation were destroyed and nature's conquered broke. Among the constellations, war was sprung. Two planets rushing from aspect malign of fiercest opposition in mid-sky should combat in their jarring spears confound. And that's uh, from Paradise Lost. The nation was summed to arms by every high motive which can inspire men. Two centuries of freedom had made its people unfit for despotism. They must save the government or miserably perish. As a flash of lightning <coughs> in a midnight tempest reveals the abysmal horrors of the sea, so did the flash of the first gun disclose the awful abyss into which rebellion was ready to plunge us. In a moment, the fire was lighted in 20 million hearts. In a moment, we were the most warlike nation on the earth. 
In a moment, we were not merely a people with an army. We were a people in arms. The nation was in column, not all at the front, but all in the array. I love to believe that no heroic sacrifice is ever lost, that the characters of men are molded and inspired by what their fathers have done. The treasured up in American souls and the unconscious influence of the great deeds of the Anglo-Saxon race. From Agincourt to Bunker Hill, it was such an influence that led a young Greek 2,000 years ago when musing on the musing on the Battle of Marathon to exclaim, The trophies of Miltiades will not let me sleep. Could these men be silent in 1861? These whose ancestors had felt the inspiration of battle on every field where civilization had fought in the last thousand years. Read their answer in this green turf. Each for himself gathered up the cherished purposes of life, its aims and ambitions, its dearest affections, and flung all with life itself into the scale of battle. And now consider this silent assembly of the dead. What does it represent? Nay, rather, what it does it not represent? It is an epitome of the war. Here the sheaves reap the, in the harvest of death from every battlefield of Virginia. If each grave had a voice to tell us what went, what is silent tenant last saw and heard on earth, we might stand with uncovered heads and hear the whole story of the war. We should hear that one perished when the first great drops of the crimson shower began to fall. When the darkness of that first disaster at Manassas fell like an eclipse on the nation. Then another died of disease while wearily waiting for winter to end. That one fell on the field in the sight of spires of Richmond, little dreaming that the flag must be carried through three more years of blood before it should be planted in that citadel of treason. And that one fell when the tide of war has swept us back till the roar of rebel guns shook the dome of yonder capital and re-echoed in the chambers of the executive mansion. We should hear mingled voices from the Rappahannock, the Rapidian, the Chickahominy, and the James, solemn voices from the wilderness, and trumpet shouts from the Shenandoah, from Petersburg, and the Five Forks, mingled with the wide, wild acclaim of victory and the sweet chores of returning peace. The voices of these dead will forever fill the land like holy benedictions. What other spot so fitting for their last resting place as this under the shadow of the capital, saved by their valor? Here where the grim edge of battle joined, here where all the hope and fear and agony of their country centered, here let them rest asleep on the nation's heart entombed in the nation's love. And I, I just added that uh, in this, this is uh, on our blog. I, I've been reposting this the last couple of years that uh, we'll always honor uh, Camp Constitution will always honor our those that died before us, uh, that died to defend our nation. And we do keep in mind, as uh, Jim Perloff, he left, uh, he gave a really good presentation at our third annual barbecue uh, a couple of days ago in Lexington, Massachusetts. He gave a little presentation about uh, an undeclared war led by uh, Woodrow Wilson against Mexico. And uh, the reason, the stated reason, wasn't the real reason. The stated reason was there was some uh, Navy uh, that were arrested near Santa, Sarah, uh, Cruz, Sarah, um, Sarah Cruz. Um, and I'm sorry, Veracruz. There it is. And um, <clears throat> Wilson demanded, because they were released, and he demanded not only an apology, but that the Mexicans fire a, a gun salute to our flag. 
And the president at the time said, no, nah. he said, we will apologize, but we're not saluting any. We're not going to salute your flag. It was an unreasonable thing. So eventually uh, the United States uh, attacked and there were casualties. And But the real reason was uh, to uh, stabilize, uh, to really oust the, the, the president at the time uh, and then um, help the oil companies. And things haven't changed a whole lot since then. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of wars that we've been in that we may not, sh- we shouldn't have been in. Or maybe should have ended sooner, or under different uh, arrangements. You know, the Vietnam War, the Korean War, but that doesn't take away the uh, the bravery of the men and in in some cases women who died, uh, <clears throat> you know, defending or at least died uh, in uh, honorably uh, serving our country. So, uh, <clears throat> and it's uh, it's really nice to see. Um, see this this our town that i live in that number of people <coughs> had uh, had great love for this town i mean f- for this country and uh there were no black lives matter banners there was no one uh you know saying that you shouldn't fly the plenty of american flags everywhere it was really good to see and i was going to have one of our uh, camp council a junior counselor he's actually been staying with us uh and I was going to have him give a little um talk about our annual family camp but he's uh he something came up and he had to leave, but it's always good to get testimonials from people who've actually been to one of our events or one of our camps. But let me just say the things that happen. And I know it's really hard to promote something if you haven't been there. I mean, you could, you could, we could do a little, we could have testimonials. We could have lots of videos and pictures, but to experience an event like a week long camp is just something very, very unique. Uh, from the minute we get there, you know, we, uh, we start off Sunday, uh, almost everybody's already signed up and, uh, they've already got room assignments. So they come in some cases, their families, they'll have their own room and other cases will be some unaccompanied minors that will be assigned to uh, a dorm for the boys and rooms for the girls. And then their counselors will show them around. And, uh, and some of them have been here. I think we get about uh, every year we, uh, 50-50. We get a lot like 50%, 60% return, and we get another 40% that are new. And we've had, and sometimes it's not a question of they didn't want to come back, but they have other things to do. Uh, a lot of our campers uh, from past years are now working full-time jobs, so they not necessarily can't t- take time off. But we like to believe that even if they've, if they've been there one week or they've been there, you know, every week since uh, we started our camp 15, uh, 15 camps, oh, 14 camps ago, this will be our 15th annual camp, uh, that they've learned a lot. They've made friends. And that, that, to me, that's one of the biggest reasons to bring me to come to our camp. You can learn a lot of great stuff, great fellowship, but it's the lifetime friendships and, you know, when you look at as parents, sometimes uh, our children, no matter what we may do, if we homeschool them, put them in uh, government, uh, put them in private schools, Christian schools, <clears throat> uh, you know, we can't shelter them. We can only lead them, uh, raise them in the admonition of the Lord and pray that they will do what's right. And if they're meeting some wrong friends, one bad decision can change their lives completely. So uh, it's good friends. Uh, good, wholesome, and again, our children aren't per- our campers aren't perfect. Nobody is, uh, but I, I, I see that my son, who's now 26, he's got a best friend that he met at camp, and they're there, and that's the one that moved up here with us. Uh, and it's, it's just really good to see that kind of friendship. 
uh, that goes well beyond the camp itself. And my wife has made uh, some really good friends. I've made some excellent friends. Had a lot of friends that started the camp together. And uh, over the years, I've just made some wonderful friends uh, that we stay in touch, uh, even those that maybe live a distance from, uh, from, from me. It's just uh, that to me is really there's, so there's a lot of things that the price of the camp is very, very reasonable. Uh, at, we did have an early bird, which has come and gone, but it's 300 bucks for 13 and over. Uh, and that includes lodging, meals, material. Uh, the only thing it may not include, if you go on a field trip, you know, you might pay admission or, um, you know, we have a bookstore. We have camp pictures that you may optional, obviously, want to buy. <clears throat> And if you're 12 and under, it's uh, 200. And if you're three and under, with the families, of course, uh, it's free. And we do have tuition. Or I should say we don't call it a tuition. We just call it a camper fee or a camp fee. We do have some help available if necessary on a on a sort of a case by case basis. Uh, we don't have unlimited funds, but we don't want to turn away any, any families. Uh, we did have to turn some away, but it was because we were full, not because uh, we didn't want them there or we didn't have the funds to cover their camp um, their camp fees. Uh, we're almost we get a get a little over a hundred, I think, that are signed up, and we do have we have more room for unaccompanied uh, minors than we do full families, uh, and uh, and also some unaccompanied adults. So to um, so the typical after we uh, the first day people register, we have uh, a dinner and then we have uh, we have a camper and we have staff orientation and then we have an orientation and for their the non staff adults and you know they learn that you know different things that we do <coughs> throughout the week and the first full day starts off uh, six thirty optional run or swim. Uh, we call it the polar bear swim, a polar bear run. But when it's in the summertime in New Hampshire, it, it even gets warm in New Hampshire. So the water's not too cold. And um, and then at 7 o'clock is wake up. 10 minutes of uh, 8, we're at the flagpole. And we will do a morning devotion. And every morning, uh, we assign a different room to the duties of the flag raising and the flag lowering. And we t teach them how to fold the flag properly. And, and we do a Bible reading, a Bible verse, and a prayer. And then uh, there are three classes for the uh, older campers and adults in the morning. Each one is 45 minutes long. And for the young people, we have something we call Patriot Camp or Junior Camp. And I believe we have three different age levels. We have, I think, the 5 to 7, 8 to 10, and then 10 to 12. We get a, Occasionally, we get a precocious 12-year-old that likes to be with the grown-ups and, and the older teenagers. And we do have some that uh, whose parents have taught them these a lot of things, and they're, they're ready to roll. They're very mature. They have a good handle on things. The Patriot Camp, though, they... They, um, their schedule is not as rigorous, but they have a lot of fun. They learn, they do some arts and crafts. They learn about uh, the Midnight Ride of Paul Revere, Old Ironsides, uh, George Washington, uh, you know, different things, different historical events. Uh, we have people dress up in colonial out outfits. And uh, we don't have an evening program for them, but there's ac activities in the evenings. Obviously, the camp has all kinds of uh, recreational things there. So 
And in the afternoon after lunch, uh, we have uh, some organized recreation, and that would include <coughs> volleyball and wiffle ball and basketball uh, and other. Uh, we do at first aid. We do some various games where the whole everyone out there is doing uh, certain they team up, steal the bacon and some other tug of war things like that. And then um, we do have an optional field trip, and it will be on this uh, Wednesday of camp. We're going to what is called Fort Number Four. It's a uh, military post. It was actually a recreation of a post on the Connecticut River. It's about a 45-minute ride from, uh, and it's sort of like stepping back into the 1700s. And we usually have about maybe a third of the camp that does that. We also have marksmanship. And we might uh, do it. I think we're going to do the marksmanship on a given day, but then uh, we have opportunities where people say, "Hey, can I learn how to shoot?" And you know, we teach them. And we it's pretty much uh, twenty-two rifles. Um, you know, we don't we don't get carried away with some of the higher firepower, uh, even though young ones it, with the parents' permission, of course. Uh, we have we block out some time where they're actually taught uh, marksmanship, and we have several people that are certified either by the NRA or what other entities that so so they do a really good job very thorough job and very safe you know obviously safety is the very first thing and you know it's interesting uh, where we have a range uh, it has been my experience that people with their own private ranges there's more range discipline on their range than there there are when I was in the army and the range discipline is pretty strict in the army you know, you don't uh, you point your weapon down range and you no foolishness. And it's the same way because, again, it's all about you want them to have, you want them to learn. It's a fun thing to do, but it's serious when you're firing a weapon. You can hurt somebody, including yourself. So we, we take it very serious. Uh, but they learn. Uh, I think the first year we had firearms was in 2020 because the other camps that we used uh, were not necessary against shooting is just that their insurance policies kind of prohibited it because it would have skyrocketed. But what we used, uh, they were okay with it. And um, we had, I think, we had about 35 people, some some adults, that for the fired for the first time in their lives. And they were just very excited about it. Wow, you know, this this Second Amendment, you know, right to keep and bear arms. And uh, a very, it's a very important thing after all, isn't it? They, they, get, they really enjoy it. Uh, so then they, uh, in the after, in the evenings, we have two more classes. We do the flag lowering between the, the, the second, uh, first and second class. And then uh, there's always a little, plenty of time in between. Uh, we give them breaks in between classes. And the last class ends at 830. We have campfire at 9. And what we do at campfire, we uh, have a camp songbook. We have uh, people that will bring their instruments. Uh, we have skits. And we have to and tell jokes. So we make sure that all the skits and jokes have been cleared to make sure they're appropriate and wholesome. We don't want to offend, uh, you know, fellow campers or do anything that's sacrilegious or prof uh, any bad language. We don't do any of that. But it's interesting that some of the new people who are, aren't accustomed to it, especially the campers that come by themselves, you know, the, this is a cool singing these corny old songs. But by the second or third day, they're really into it. And, uh, and that's the same way with people who might be there for the first time and, the, oh, gee, classes, this is summertime, man. But uh, usually on the last day, a lot, some of them are crying. And they're not crying because they, they, uh, they're glad it's over. They're crying because they don't want to leave. And it's just very good to see that. And we've had people come up to us. Uh, one year we had a family, and the mom said, this camp exceeded 
all of my expectations. And we, that's happened more than once. It, and it's really nice when uh, a lady, come, a mom comes up and she, I think, came up because of, of another family that invited her. She said, I'm going to tell you, there's going to be a lot more people from Connecticut coming up here next year. And because, you know, they see, they see that, um, you know, what we have to offer, it's not a Bible camp. In the, obviously, there are wonderful Bible camps or church-based camps. Uh, we are non-denominational, but we are Christ-centered. Uh, we, of course, we have classes that deal with America's godly heritage, the phil- philosophical founding of the American Republic. And uh, so that's an important element. But we do welcome the participation of people from different denominations, Catholics, Protestants. Uh, we had a Jewish family. They come in every year. I'm not sure uh, what. And I thought, oh, they're not going to. They're probably not going to come back. And they've been coming back every year. They really enjoy it. Uh, and it's really nice that you can have that uh, that type of uh, fellowship and co- we help what, the things we have in common. We may have our denominational nation, denominational differences, but we have in common is our love for America and the need to preserve a country or actually reclaim our country. And that's what gets them there. And uh, and and we tell our counselors uh, that old adage uh, in place of the parents in local parentis that if. Um, you come there as a Baptist. If your child is a Baptist, when they get there, they leave hopefully a better Baptist. They don't leave there a Seventh-day Adventist or a Pentecostal or a Presbyterian. Uh, and so the parents know that that's, uh, and that's, gonna, that's the case. You know, the counselors know that's how it is. And, and people are good with that. And because there's so many denominational differences, someone suggested that we become a, a more of a Christian, call ourselves a Christian camp as opposed to Camp Constitution. I said, okay, let's. Uh, what Bible are we going to read? What's our theology? What's our mission statement? You know, are we post-trib, mid-trib, uh, no-trib, or pre, uh, pre-trib? Which one? You know, what? Uh, what's our take on communion? What's our take on? And I thought so. If we did that, then we become a denomination to ourselves, and that's not what we're about. And so, um, so the last full day of camp, uh, we have closing ceremony, where we uh, uh, we recognize uh, a super camper, a boy and a girl, and they get a two, uh, a fee for next year, either for themselves or for so anyone they designate family members or what have you. And, uh, and we also have closing motivation, motivational speeches, and we give awards out to. Uh, uh, for other reasons too, we have a account um, like the Super Counselor Award. They call it the Hal Shirtliff Award. Had nothing to do with that. I wouldn't name it after myself. And then uh, pizza night, and we have we have daily room inspections. Uh, and now these are for the uh, the, the unaccompanied minors that, that are in cabin that are in either in rooms or dorms. But we do ask if a few families want to participate in an inspection and. You know, let us know, and we'll you know, we'll participate. And so we look for uh, not just cleanliness, but also a Christian and patriotic theme for the room. And the room with the most uh, points at the end of the week gets the free pizza. On uh, after after campfire, we have pizza, and we also have a uh, wiffle ball game the last full afternoon, and that's a, a great tradition too, and a lot of fun. And uh, the camp itself, if you go to their website, singinghills.com, I think, or .org, uh, you could see their grounds. They have beautiful grounds. They have a, they have a small pond, 
Uh, but the pond has, uh, they have slides that go right into the water and they also have this gigantic, um, a big float where you jump into it and then from there you jump off. It's, it's pretty cool. And then, then they have a, uh, uh, an, uh, above, they have an in-ground, I don't know if it's Olympic size, but it's a good size uh, swimming pool. And they also have a basketball court and a volleyball, volleyball nets and a gaga pit, which is a very popular game at camp. When we were scouting out a new place uh, back in 19, I had my youngest daughter with me, and she said, if it doesn't have a gaga pit, we don't want to be there. I says, well, we can make our own. No, no, it's got to have a gaga pit. So we found that this camp had a really good gaga pit, so my, my daughter was cool with it. Um, and the food is good. You know, we've used camps where the food is not quite up to snuff, but we have a real chef at this camp. And uh, every the rooms, that we use uh, lodges, so it's not, you know, bring a tent. Uh, and each, almost every room in the lodges that we have have their own bath and shower there's a couple that share we usually put larger families or those that know each other where they share a bathroom uh, <clears throat> so it's a great it's a, it's uh the the room the beds are oh, okay you know they're they're mostly uh twin size beds but um it's only a week and it's better than sleeping in a sleeping bag so anyway to learn more about our camp just visit our website campconstitution.net a weekend camp is just a much smaller version of the week-long camp, and that's at Camp Sentinel, uh, and that's in Tuftonboro, New Hampshire. So it's, like I say, an abbreviated uh, version. Uh, we don't have a camp newspaper. We don't have room inspections. We don't have pizza night, uh, but we do have a – it's a good a good uh, taste of the week-long camp. And that's coming up the last weekend in September. So, hey, running out of time. Thank you for listening You've been listening to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. And until next week, may God richly bless you.